We just come before you and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to study your word and to worship you through that and ask you to guide and lead us as we continue this chapter and to the end times in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 29. And uh, we were been starting into Jesus talking about the uh, abomination of desolation and that pray that you're not going to be inside or needing to go get a cloak or anything and, and run when that happens. And so verse 25, immediately after the tribulation of these days shall come, the, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with the power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. All right, so we're going to just take a look at this. It says here that the sun will, will darken, the stars will fall, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken at the end of the tribulation. And this is a picture given also in, Re in the book of Revelation, one of the one of the bowls of wrath darkened the sun. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of speculation on whether that is something that will actually happen or if it's figurative. Jesus seems to make it sound like it's the actual happening at the end. And, you know, I don't know the answer to that. My rule of thumb, when, you know, as we've talked about, is that when the Bible can be taken literally, it's literal. And God could make the sun stop shining as bright. And he could hide the stars. Now, could he do it actually make those happen or could he or could the pollution and and uh, particulates in the air be so bad that the sun is darkened and the stars can't be seen i'm not going to say either way either way the equivalent is the same on the earth and so we look at this and again ideally god says it's going to happen it's going to happen at least from the earth's pers perspective the stars are going to stop shining doesn't that mean like it, this is the end times it's at the very end. It's at the, toward the end of the tribulation period, just before Jesus comes. Because he says, after that, after they darken, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and shall all the tribes of heaven mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the, out in, in the clouds of heaven in the power of, of glory. So yes, at the very end of this, and you, in Revelation it talks about the bowl being poured out, and the sun being darkened, and the stars uh, being out and again whether that's a literal physical darkening of the sun and destruct you know destruction of the sun or if you've been any place where you've been near a volcanic eruption or something of that nature it can darken out the sun and and the stars for a short period of time so uh, this could be a picture of massive war well they say it they say it'll be the nuclear it's a possibility. I mean, I'm not going to rule that out as an option. And again, could it be a nuclear darkness and particulates? Uh, we're talking about in Revelation, it talks about earthquakes that shake the entire mountains and all the mountains fall. So it could be also that God just does some dramatic natural changes and disasters to this world. And if you had that bad an earthquake, you'd have volcanoes and everything firing off and erupting and filling the air. And God could still also literally darken the sun and the sun and the stars. Uh, he created them. He can turn, turn them off anytime he wants. So 
we, again, well, I'm not going to get dogmatic on whether this is an you know, absolute, he darkens it, or the natural causes darken it, or a nuclear, dark, <laughs> nuclear, nuclear fallout darkens it. Uh, I kind of pull back from the nuclear because if it's too large and would darken everything, pretty much everything would be destroyed. And we also know that everything won't be destroyed according to Revelation. Well, God says the wormwood will hit the earth and, and poison the water, so it's, it could be a meter. There's all kinds of numbers of things that could cause this scenario to, to appear. If a large enough meteor hit the earth and, and put enough particulate matter in the air, it would get dark. Uh, volcanic eruptions, you know, uh, Re Revelation talks about an earthquake so that all the hills and mountains fall flat. That'd be pretty good shaking of this world for all of them to fall flat. And that would be a supernatural earthquake. And that's a possibility, especially as we're seeing more and more earthquakes as we go, go around. The Earth is already starting to slow in its, in its rotation. It's starting to wobble a lot more than it used to. Uh, used to used to wobble about every decade. It would change a couple degrees. Now we're seeing major shifts about every 10 years on the on the axis. And if you think about that, God put the Earth. He spun the Earth into existence. And if you've ever spun a top, and you watch it as it starts to slow down, the axis starts waving back and forth, and you know, like a drunken like a drunken person, just as the Earth is described in the scriptures, as it will wobble as a drunken man. Uh, we see all these things in the scriptures and go, okay, we're starting to see all of this happen. And so it, it's kind of an exciting time to, to be alive. It's an exciting time to watch and it's an exciting time when God talks about it. Not that I want to be here for it. And I'll be glad that he takes his church out during all of this. But it is going to be, and he says in verse 30, and then shall the sign of the Son of Man in heaven shall and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And again, we go to Revelation, and what happens during this period of time is that Satan gets the world to try to fight Jesus. He comes down, and he puts his foot on Mount Olive, it splits, and he reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's the sign. And that is when... Israel will realize that, you know, they realize they were tricked. In the, we talked about this last week when, when Satan stands up in the temple and declares that he is God, the Jews at that point will either naturally or supernaturally be revealed to them that they have been tricked and lied to and that this is not the Messiah. And it could be a combination of both. Well, at first they're going to really believe he's the Messiah. He's going to bring an apparent peace. He's going to get the, he's going to get the temple built. It, it, everything that they think that they're wanting, he's going to be the one that try, appears to be bringing it in. Because he's the one that can. All the false religions are his anyway, so if he starts saying, I'm going to work on this, all he's got to do is change the motivations of their heart to, to not fight so much or, not, or at least listen, the temple will be built. And so we're gonna, we saw that last week, how he's going to build, build the temple. He's going to stand up in the temple and declare, I am God. Well, there's lots of false religions. And they're all based in the same, same foundation, the lies of Satan. And we see this over and over, and Jesus will come 
when all the world is going into as close as hell as the world has ever seen. And we think about this, and we think the world is bad in our day and age. And it is bad. Don't get me wrong. It is bad. But what would the world be like if the church wasn't here to put a temperance upon their desires? You know, all these things that go on, all these cruel evils that come in and the church stands up against and gets hated because of our standing up against them, but we slow down. We're not, we're not making it go away, but we're, we're slowing down the progress of evil. And it seems to be less slow every, every decade or so, but we still have influence. We still make life difficult for the world trying to make these things. And in that last day, the whole world will see Jesus come because that's his goal. You know, he came the first time and he was seen by people and he's going to come the second time and he's going to come as ruler. First time he came as the lamb, next time he comes it says as the, the ruler, the king. First time he entered Jerusalem, remember it was on a donkey. That was the way that a ruler entered into a kingdom when he came into peace. When he came in as a peaceful king and said, I'm, I'm coming in peace. And when he comes back, he's going to be riding a white horse, which is war. I'm coming to conquer, is what he's saying. And he's going to take this world and rule this world with an iron rod. For all those who have not, who did not take the mark of the beast, those who took the mark of the beast will be immediately cast into, into uh, hell to await final judgment. And it will be a very small population that have not taken the mark. You've got to think, it'd be, it's going to be very hard not to take the mark of the beast when you can't buy, sell, do anything without having this mark. Very few people are going to go through the hassles and headaches of not taking it. The conditions are going to be harsh. Remember in Revelation, a quarter of all the fresh water has been destroyed. A quarter of the seas have been destroyed. A quarter of the population many times over have been destroyed. Uh, it's getting dark. The weather is getting bad. There's earthquakes everywhere. It'll be hard to grow food. It'll be hard to produce. It'll be, it'll be hard to live in, during the tribulation period. Well, those who become believers are going to suffer. Will they get some protection? Quite possibly. The children of Israel in Egypt had many of the plagues that they didn't have to suffer from. But there were many of the plagues that they suffered from. They did not get a free pass on all the plagues, but on many of them they did. Will the people get some blessings, you know, that are Jewish and following God during this time? God will always take care of his people. Will there be protections? I think, I would agree with you, there will be some protections from the example of the Jewish people in, in Egypt. Will they be totally blocked from all problems? No. If you leave America and start getting out in, away from our scientific, uh, we, we know better than God attitude, you still have resurrections going on a lot, you have healings going on, you have divine feed, feeding going on, you have huge miracles just as they were in the Bible. But again, I think the, prob the reason we're not seeing miracles in America is because we don't want to see them and don't believe they're going to happen. Yeah, and you, yeah because and the miracles that they did in the Bible, not the whole world didn't know about them. And again, if you're, if you're in any of these biographies and are talking about miracles all the time, uh, read, read any of the modern day biographies as well, and they're talking about miracles all the time. We don't see in America miracles 
the Bible talks about because we don't have enough faith to want to see those miracles. Uh, we are technologically advanced. God doesn't work that way anymore in most, even in most Christians' minds, God doesn't work these ways anymore. And it's very sad because I've watched God do, I really believe we've had several feeding miracles here when there's not been enough food on, a, on an end of the month dinner and everybody's gone away full and people taking food home with them or at least every pot being pretty empty, but everybody's full. I know that those things happen. I know that healings happen. I know that the miracles still happen if we're not sitting there saying, well, they just can't happen. And unfortunately, most of the church in America is miracles can't happen because God just doesn't work that way. You know, the miracles ended when the Bible ended. And that's not true. They're still going on. They're still, uh, in that particular case, when he was talking to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler had said, I've kept all the commandments since, I was, since my youth. And that's when Jesus told him, go and sell all that you have and, and follow me. And what he was doing was making a point to him that you have a God that's more important to you than God. Yes. And that was his money. Well, in, in that particular individual, yes, he wanted him to sell and get rid of his God. He needed to get rid of his God. And if he would follow the real God. And follow God. And he would not. Is that for every single person out there to go sell everything they own and follow God? No. But in his case, it was, he was boasting, I have kept all the commandments. I, I, am, I am a good person. And he was saying, no, you have, you have one more thing you have to do. Basically, go get rid of your God and follow me. And he went away sad and chose his God over, over Jesus. If God, there's nothing wrong with wealth and taking care of yourself. But there's, and there's nothing righteous and noble about being penniless and broke. No, you know, it all comes down to what is God wanting you to do. But that's what Paul said when he said, I have learned to be content with much or with little. It didn't matter to him what he had physically. It's what do I have with God? If you have, if you have everything in the world like Solomon did, but you're not following God, it's empty vanity. If you have nothing, but you're following God and he's providing for you, you have everything. Now, granted, it might be better to be Solomon and have, have everything and have God and being able to use it to, to, to help evangelize, but most people, when they have much, are not going to stay faithful with God. Where is our heart? Where is our attitude toward it? Is my heart, is, I've got to have all this stuff to be able to live? Or is my heart on, God, I want what you to have, have for me? The, the world is full of people who went into the mission field that were wealthy, that were cut off from their fathers because they went to the mission field. And they go, well, I'm going to serve God. Not all of them. Some of them still kept their money and, and used it for God. Most people don't. Because money tends to get in the way. Money tends to get in our way more than, more than helping. And not 100%. We've got lots of people who've been millionaires giving God 90% of their, their money. We want to be careful, and I'm not trying to be down on anybody who's rich or down on having money. You know, because we look at several people who have been very, been millionaires and have honored God. Verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branches, branches yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise you, when you see, shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. All right, so he talks about a fig tree. 
and it puts forth its leaves. And one of the things we know pretty much when any tree starts budding, it's supposed to be springtime. Now, sometimes when you live around here and we have perpetual summer and the, the trees get confused a little bit in the middle of winter during the, when it gets warm, <laughs> they start thinking that it's springtime and, and we get a, get a freeze. But in general, if you live places that don't have this crazy temperatures like we do, the trees start putting out their leaves and, and budding in the springtime. And, and Jesus is saying, you look at the fig tree, you know that it's, it's springtime because it's starting to put down. Now, he could have used any tree. He could have used any number of events uh, to it, but he's using something that's very clear to them. Fig trees were in abundance in that area, and he goes, now, here's all these fig trees. When you start seeing the leaves on them, you know that spring is coming. His point was, for us, when we see these events that he's been talking about coming to fruition, start looking for the end. And He's going to go on to say, we don't know the day and the time, and none of us know the day and the time. If anybody tells you they know the day and the time, don't listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about because Jesus said, no man knows the time. But we can look around and say, it's getting closer. The, the disciples all thought that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. And that, they didn't even have half the signs that we have to be able to say, it's coming. And, but they could interpret the signs to mean, you know, just as bad to them. They had the Roman government. They had one currency as far as they were concerned. The Roman currency was good from all the way in, in uh, what's now called England and, and Spain, all of North Africa, the Sahara Desert, and all the way out to India, you had one coin. So it was pretty easy. They, they looked at it and said, well, everybody's on one currency. Yeah, there were certain things that couldn't necessarily happen, but they were saying, we see enough. And in their day and age, there was, evil was running rampant, as far as they could see. You know, it's been an amazing thing. When you look at history and you see how evil has run rampant at certain periods in time, we could still have a revival that puts God 100, 200, 300, 400 years down the road. And I'd love to see it. I'd love to have it happen. I'm not putting much faith in it happening. But our job is, as Christians, to go preach the gospel, and maybe we can have a revival. In the 1800s, when America was praying for a revival, there was probably a lot of people who were saying, well, man, this country's so evil, there's no way we're going to have a revival. And then all of a sudden, we had the great, second great awakening in America, and, and Christianity swept across the states. During the 1700s, during the great awakening, uh, the great, great revival, evil was running rampant, and God swept through this country and Europe we can have another revival. It's not out of the realm of reason to have another revival. And our job is to pray for it. Our job is to support missionaries and be missionaries ourselves as far as it goes to talk to people and, and witness. But all the great revivals of, this, of history have started with prayer. Prayer for a revival. And it started there with prayer with one of the great evangelists, and they prayed every day for revival for a year or two. And then the revival started. You know, we need to be seriously considering the prayer for revival. You know, because if any of you have grandkids or, or nieces or nephews that are young, you know, we want to see them have a chance to get to know God and live in a world that is somewhat decent. 
Because the way we're headed, it's not going to happen. But God is doing great. And you know there's great revivals going on all around the world as we speak. Where is this world going? Who knows? We know eventually it's going to go <laughs> to the tribulation period because Jesus tells us, Revelation tells us, Daniel tells us, Ezekiel tells us. You know, we, we know that the end is destruction and Satan ruling almost to the point of bringing hell on earth. And even then, it won't be hell on earth, but the people will think that it is until they actually get to taste hell. But he's going to bring things to evil where he gets to rule as close as God will let him rule and how much danger it will be. And we think about this. As bad as things are, you know, we look at some of the riots that, where people are letting go. You know, it's nothing compared to what will be when Satan has reign on this world and lets people just get away with whatever they want to get away with and the disasters that are going to happen. But he says, when you see these things, when you see these things happening, know that the end is near. And then he says, and this is one that drives a lot of people, verse 34, verily when I say you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. What generation? The generation that sees these things started. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that debate, you know, debate on what that is, but I think it's very clear. He's talking about the generation that sees the leaves being put out, the, the trees starting to turn. When we get to that place and it gets that degree of activity, that generation shall not pass. Anytime somebody sets a date, you don't want to be listening to them. Because they don't know what they're talking about. And they'll make, and, and as we sit here and say that, I want to tell you that when they start making their, their predictions, and especially from a Bible teacher, they will pull all kinds of scripture out and they will sound like they know what they're talking about. And I've heard good, solid teachers do this kind of stuff. And they'll pull this verse out and this verse out and this verse out. And even in context, they seem like they will make sense. And they'll go, Jesus is going to return on such and such time or in such and such way. And it's like, okay, Jesus said he doesn't know the time. No man knows the time. And you're going to tell me that you know the time. And we need to be careful with that place. If they start talking about they know something that nobody else knows, there, there's something wrong. And the problem that you have with this is, the, and this is what I've said, I want everybody always to search the scriptures to make sure that I'm teaching the right thing because I can get off just as they can. And what happens with these teachers is they teach solid teaching for a long time. And people get so used to their teaching being good and solid that they stop checking it out. And then, not even on purpose necessarily, but they start drifting from the truth or they feel like I have nothing else to give them and they start trying to sensationalize their message a little bit because they've run, they haven't been feeding themselves. And as many teachers are guilty of this. They don't feed themselves on personal Bible reading and study. They study just to be teaching people and that's not enough. It's something I have to be very careful, as busy as I am, I've got to find time for myself that I do my own study. I do my own Bible reading just for me not just for studying for these, these messages and classes that I teach, because you can get burnt out trying to do that if you're not feeding yourself. And we see this over and over again. Many of these guys started out as pretty good teachers, and they drifted. And I've seen it many times in my lifetime, watching somebody who started out as a good teacher, and they start drifting off, 
and they get further and further from the truth and, and people wonder, well, what happened to so-and-so? Well, you know, they're trying to impress people usually. Yeah. Everybody knows what I'm going to say. I've got to go impress them. I've got to go find something that's going to be impressive. But you know, there ha comes that point where you have got a sound enough base that all you're now trying to do is add on it. And you're not going to be wowed. And if you ever get to the place where you think like, well, something must be wrong with me. I'm not getting super, super messages out of these things. And they, no, it probably just means you've grown up enough that it's not all stupendous information. There will always be truths in the word that you're going to get, but they're not going to be those one time, first time, you know, wow, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You're going to go, I never saw it that way. But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of man, the son of man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and they took them all away. So shall the coming of the son of man be. Then shall two be in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other left. This particular day that he's now talking about is going to be the rapture when Jesus comes and the days are getting evil. And, you know, I kind of like what he, what he says here, you know, it's just as the days of Noah. Evil was running rampant, and yet and during that time people were getting married, they were having babies, they were having birthday parties, they were having funerals. They were doing day-to-day -day living. Now their day-to-day -day living was evil, but they were doing day-to-day -day living. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be the same way. People are just going to go on and say, you know, with the same thing, well, Jesus hasn't come yet. He's still not coming. And then instantly, there he is. With, uh, and everything will change at that point. And, you know, even beyond that, when we do our day-to-day -day living, we need to be looking for God. God wants to do things in our life. He wants to do special appointments. He wants to give us the miracles we were talking about earlier. He wants us to, he wants to be able to reveal who he is. He is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed. He's still a miracle-working God. He's still a God that wants to step into our lives. He's still a God that wants to guide and lead us and speak to us and make clear to us what he wants us to do. Most of us just are so busy we don't listen. So busy that we walk right past the divine appointment and don't talk to the people that we're supposed to talk to because we're busy message this morning was on, but they were talking about how the urgent things get in our way of what's important. You know, we live so often in what's urgent, what has to be done by, everybody wants us to do this, this, this has got to be done, this has got to be done. And what's important in our life? Spending time with God, praying, reading the Bible, sharing the gospel. If we don't make time for those things, how easy are they to be pushed away? And I know that for a fact. It's even as much as I emphasize trying to read the Bible, sometimes it's difficult for me to read the Bible, especially if I don't get up early enough to do it first thing in the morning. Because if I don't do it first thing in the morning, I'm going to have a hard time finding time to get into doing reading God's Word and praying. Because once I start my two jobs for the day, it, my, my day is gone. And there's all kinds of things that have to be done. You know, Figuring out, well, I didn't read in the morning, I'll read during lunch. 
sure enough, I'll be busy during lunch. Okay, God, when I get, get home from, from the first job and still before I start the second one, I'll go do it, and I'll end up working late or having to start early <laughs> with people here. Uh, okay, God, I've got to get home early enough to be able to read, and I'll end up being here later than I meant to be here. And by the time I get home, it's like, I just want to go to bed. We need to make room for what's important in our life. They'd get so busy in work, you know, and I can tell you, when I first got married and had my kids, I was so busy at work, and I had every reason to say that I needed to be at work. And my, at this point in life, I would wish I could go back and relive that and only, only spend 50 or 60 hours at work and spend the other 20, 25 hours with my family. But felt I had to do it, felt I needed the money, felt that, you know, I had all my justifications on why I needed it to do, and what was important was pushed aside. Be very careful that you don't let the important stuff get pushed aside by the stuff that seems to be urgent. We've got to be careful. What is important? Find a place for what's important because it's critical because otherwise everything else we push what's important out because the urgent always has people yelling at you. This has to be done or at least yourself yelling at you. This has to be done. This has to be done. This has to be accomplished. This has to be accomplished. And then you end up with no time to do what's really important. It's what is so important is to go out and live for God. Look for God. Look for the miracles of God and look for the activities of God. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with His people. One of the greatest things we can do is spending time with God's people because it's that was where we get edified and built up. And oh, it's wonderful that God doesn't give up on us. God is so patient, so merciful. He does not give up on us. We give up on ourselves. We give up on others. But God does not give up on us. But, you know, as we start looking at how God treats us, we should be using that as our measuring rod on how we treat others. You know, are we being just as kind to others? Are we, being, are we holding their, their mistakes against them? Are, they, are we giving up on them? It's so easy for us as humans to do that. But if we truly really start to understand the love of God and applying it to others. But it's hard. Oh, you know, it's probably, not, it's probably not easy for God. We think that because God does it that it's easy for him, but he hates sin. He hates all this stuff. This has got to be something that's hard for him even. It's his love for us that keeps him, keeps him from giving up. It's his love for us that keeps him from destroying us when we deserve it. We, we see here that he's saying, just as in Noah's day, everybody's living and being, being, doing their life. Doing life. And that's what he's saying. Getting married, you know, um, he could have gone having children, going to work, uh, eating di dinner, all these things, you know. They were just having life. How many times in our day-to-day -day existence do we just do life? I get up in the morning, I have my breakfast, I go to work. I come home, I, if it's a church night, I go to church, otherwise I do whatever it is I do when I'm not at church. You know, and then I go to bed and I start all over and do the same thing all over the next day because I'm just doing life. And God is in the middle of all of that. We said, you know, how many times did Jesus stop on the way doing something? You know, and one of the greatest examples I think of is Jairus. Jairus has begged him to come and heal his daughter. So he's yeah, going, yeah. Going, 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 going on his way with Jairus to heal Jairus' 13-year-old daughter and stops in the middle of it. 
And if you're Jairus, and it doesn't say that he did this, but you've got to put yourself in Jairus's place. Jesus, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be coming to my house. What are you stopping here in the middle of, on the way? My daughter's dying. This woman just has blood. You can take care of her anytime you want. Let's get going to my house. You know, he's probably having a fit. Now, whether he's actually saying anything or not is another story. You know, this is the master who's supposed to heal his daughter. But, you know, in his heart, he's probably going, okay, what's wrong with this guy? He's supposed to be, you know, I begged him. He's coming with me, and now he's stopped. How many times do we get so busy in our life that we don't take time to stop? We walk right past the needs that are presented to us. We walk right past the people that we're supposed to. And then we'll honestly, at the end of the night, say, well, God, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't, I didn't see a single person for, for, you know, that I was supposed to talk to. Be careful if you do that, because God will then point out, well, you should have talked to this person and this person and this person. What about this person? You, you drove right past this person on the side of the road. You know, and uh, he'll point. And that doesn't mean we're to stop and talk to every single person that has a problem. In Acts 3, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. And what do they meet out there? A man begging alms at Gate Beautiful. And what do they do? They by the name, in the name of Jesus Christ, they healed him. That man had sat there for 20 years. How many times did Jesus walk past that man at Gate Beautiful and not healed him? If, it wasn't for, if Jesus wasn't healing every single person that he ever saw and help every single person he ever saw, our job isn't to help every single person that we see, but our job is to be having an ear to hear when God says, speak to this person. I'm so busy doing my life, whatever my life is. But the problem is that we just get busy. We just get busy. We have, a, we have our agenda in mind, and the problem there is it's our agenda, or let's make it more personally, I have my agenda in mind. I have to accomplish this God, I don't care what else you put into my path. I'm going to go accomplish what I want to get done. And it is a lot of pride. And it is a lot of arrogance. And it is putting on blinders and just getting busy. It's the sin nature coming up and saying, I'm what's important and i got to get my, my business done. And then we miss so many opportunities. I've sat down at the end of the day occasionally and go, God, you know, I didn't end up talking to anybody. Who did I miss? You know, and... and he puts different people's faces in my mind that, that I walk past without even barely saying it. So I'm trying in my own life to be more observant to people and being more listening to God to say, what and who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? What should I do in this, in this particular life? And it is a tough way to walk because God does not yell in our ear. It would be so easy if God had a big... Big speaker right in our ear. Oh, you stop. You're supposed to talk to this person to your right. Here's your word you're supposed to say to them. Okay, stop. You're supposed to talk to this person. No, just walk past this person. This isn't your person to talk to. Wouldn't it be easy if that's what God did? In the scriptures, he says, the just shall live by faith. Faith is a hard way to, walk, to live. Because God is not standing there yelling in our ear saying, do this, don't do this. But if we listen quietly... He doesn't, doesn't come out with great big neon signs over somebody's head. This person, this person, this person. Wouldn't it be nice if he did? It would make life so much simpler. I could probably find a way to ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> no 
but, but you know, having, you, know, you said that in jest, but you know, we probably would. Yeah. Even if he was yelling in our ear, big sign, neon signs over people's heads and arrows pointing every direction, we'd find a way to ignore all of that because the flesh would say, hey, I'm what's important here, God, not, not them, not, not that activity. And God, you know, I know, I know you, you know, I know you saved me and everything, but you just leave me alone for a little while. We end up in the middle of life. Noah was preaching his heart out to these people as he's building a big boat. And probably being the laughingstock of the neighborhood, he's building a boat in the middle of a plain. Now, an ocean sea, ocean-going boat. Not, not a little rowboat that you would take out on the river or the lake, whatever, you know, whatever they might have done. He's building an ocean, ocean-sized boat in the middle of nowhere telling people it was going to rain. We kind of don't even understand that. It had never rained. Mist came up from the ground and watered the ground. You know, well, Noah, what's this rain stuff? Well, this water is going to fall from the sky. Oh, yeah, sure, Noah. Uh, what, what drugs are you smoking? We'd like to get hold of those. They probably didn't even have a word for rain. I'm sure. I'm not, how do you describe water falling from the sky? Because there, there is no rain, so there probably wasn't a word for rain. And then there's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Well, the water is going to come up all over the place. No rain, no, no need for a flood. So again, you know, how do you even describe these things that nobody's even experienced? And he said the whole world's going to be destroyed. Our prayer each day needs to be, God, open my eyes to what you would have me to see. Open my ears to hear your, hear your direction. And then start listening. Most of the time you're not going to know that you're doing it in the middle of it until you start getting in the middle of it. It, it is so much fun when I start talking to somebody and then realize I'm right where God wants me to be because he's being lifted up and, and talked about. How many times do we have the opportunity to talk about God and not bring him into a situation? You know, and people don't always like us bringing God into the situation. I've had some people that get mad at me when I bring God into the situation out of the prison, both employees and <laughs> inmates. And I have people that really enjoy the conversations. But you know, even if they're not enjoying it and it's going to be hard on them, we need to bring up God. If people get mad at us, I'd rather have them mad at me here on earth than mad at me you know, that I didn't tell them about God. Because if they're going to get mad at me, let them get mad at me for telling them about God rather than not telling them about God. Because that is of eternal value. And we spend so much of our life focused on the now, now and here and very little on, etern on eternal value. You know, well, God, if I say these things to my friends, they may not like me and I won't have an opportunity to share with them. Well, if you're not willing to share with them at the beginning of your relationship, you're probably not going to share later on. And this has been very true. The more you have invested in a relationship, the less likely you are to do something that might make them mad at you. So if you don't bring God up in the beginning of, your, of a relationship with somebody, you're very unlikely to do it later on because you've got time and effort inv invested. I've really worked real hard to get them to like me. How can I, how can I do something that'll make them not like me now? <laughs> Bring God up in the middle of your, of your relationships with people early. If they're not gonna like you because of God, let them get it out of their system early. You know, don't put a lot of time in, 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 into a relationship. Most of the people that had asked me why am I different also knew that I was a Christian because I wasn't very silent about it. You know, was I overt in my preaching? No, especially when I was a manager because I couldn't make anybody think that their job depended on them being a Christian. But 
Everybody knew that I was a Christian. They knew that I went to church. They knew that I was a believer because I was, didn't hide it. I, didn't, I wasn't silent about it. But, you know, we've got to be looking at the eternal. What am I doing that has eternal consequences? My going to work every day at the prison is not an eternal consequence thing. It is one reason I go to work at the prison, and that is to make money so that I can pay my bills. And if God said I'm not supposed to work there, I would stop it in a heartbeat and let God show me how I'm going to make my money anyway. But when I'm out there, I want eternity to be touched. I want people to, to know that there's a God. Does that mean I witness to people every single moment I'm out there? No, that's not what I'm being paid for. I'm being paid to teach. I'm being paid to give tests. That's my primary focus. But when I'm not doing those two things, I try to get an opportunity to share with people lift people up, build them up, encourage them. And I get to do it as much with staff as anybody else. And it's a lot of fun just to put little eternal moments, drop a seed here, drop a seed there, maybe water a seed, maybe encourage somebody. If they're a Christian and sharing that, then I'll encourage them in their Christianity and their, and their walk with God. If they don't seem to be a Christian, I'll give them as much of the gospel as I can in whatever time I have to, to be there to give them. But you know, our example needs to be for eternity. Jesus' eye was always on eternity. No matter what he was doing, he was looking at what was good for the kingdom, not what was good for him. If he was looking for what was good for him, he wouldn't have gone after these guys so often with their, about their sins and, and their need for God because you're going, well, I want to live past 33, so I don't want to antagonize everybody. <laughs> but he gave God's message out. And usually when you give God's message out, people are not going to like it. And if you don't, don't believe this, look at church history, look at the Bible. How many of God's prophets did not live long because of the, they gave messages that nobody wanted to hear? You know, sometimes God protected them. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for his preaching of God and following of God. And God saved him. Uh, Isaiah was sawn in half. I, don't, I hope nobody ever wants to saw me in half. I'd rather have a gun to my head than being sawn in half. Being, being sawn in half would be a, would be a uh, very horrible thing. All right, so we see here Jesus talking about the end times. So we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to see the eternal. Help us to be listening to your word and, and just sharing with people. Lord, we all make the mistakes of living on this day-to-day -day life and, and not watching for you, but help us to be more conscious of what you would have us to do in your son's name. Amen.